right, welcome back to the Face Off Spot. This is your host, Adam Larson. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. I always really appreciate it when you guys tune in. I also really appreciate our sponsor, Howie's Hockey Tape Company. If you'd like 10% off your Howie's Hockey Tape purchase, please enter the coupon code FACEOFF10. That's FACEOFF10, the number 10, into the coupon code area to get 10% off of your Howie's Hockey Tape purchase. Um, I know it's been a few weeks. Uh, the holiday season was busy, wasn't able to come out with episodes. Uh, I'm in Tulsa now, uh, which I think some of you guys are aware of, but uh, I'm back in my hometown and uh, you know I, I know a lot of people here, but I really want to get to know you know new people. And so part of the thing is when I came here, I was asking a bunch of people, well, who should I have on the show? Who would be a good person to have? Because I was trying to you know kind of um, you know find somebody from the team. Um, which the team is obviously a little bit uh, different than when I was here 12 years ago. Um, but multiple people said, hey, you got to have this guy on. Not only is he a nice guy, good guy, but he has a wealth of hockey knowledge. He would be a great guy to have on the show. Um, so we have today uh, the assistant coach of the Tulsa Oilers, uh, Scott Dutart. Did I get it right? You did. Okay. You did. Okay, because I, I, I know I've said this, but as long as I could get that correct, then the rest of the show will go completely perfect without any hitches. Yeah, Dutard is the is the right pronunciation. But the, all, the, that, all those weird E's and R's. So the funny thing is, though, is that when I'm saying your last name, I'm actually thinking of how it's spelled, and it's just it kind of gives me like a little bit of a, a headache just all of a sudden. But it, it, when you say it, it makes sense. But I'm trying to think of, you know, but uh, it worked out, and uh, I nailed it. When did you say I nailed you it? You did. You got it. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, as long as we can both agree on that, uh, I think we can start the show. But uh, as far as the show is concerned, which I uh, um, I know that you're a little bit familiar with at this point, but uh, can you tell us how you um, got interested in the sport of hockey? This might not have been the first time uh, that your skate blades touched the ice, but uh, what was it that got you interested in the sport of hockey? I know you're from Canada, um, so sometimes these stories kind of... Uh, um, sometimes I've heard them before, but uh, what was your uh, story? I, I grew up in a in a small town. I was actually a farm kid that grew up outside of uh, Dinsmore and and uh, Weist and Saskatchewan were the two communities, and it was the the social fabric for the community. That's mm-hmm. what you did in the winter time. You, you'd go in and you spent the whole day at the rink. You there were all the different age groups played, and then at night the the Dinsmore Dynamos always played the senior men's team and it was just the that was the social atmosphere that you had there you you put in time in the summertime playing baseball and then fall hit and it was volleyball and you couldn't wait for then you knew the ice was coming in right after that and and so ever since you're a little kid like if you weren't there or if you weren't playing hockey yet you were Mm -hmm. probably going out on the ice and skating waiting until you got old enough to play yeah. And like I said, that was the community gathering place all winter. Yeah. Well, and I kind of want to talk about, because when we talk about hockey in Canada, because we're, you know, we're a little bit in the Midwest or maybe considered south to some, uh, but hockey's a little bit different in Canada because you are really just kind of representing your town uh, or city and playing against other towns or cities. So I'm assuming that uh, it kind of creates a, a really good hockey culture along with the senior hockey, because that's fairly similar as well, just a little bit older, which we'll get to in a little bit. It, but uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really kind of just a town-to-town competition. Yeah, from the smaller communities, you you usually represent your town. As we got older, it was uh, there was kind of a change where um, 
there were less kids that were playing and then you started amalgamating with your rival team. So that was always awkward the first few practices of the year. Yeah. Uh, living in, for the kids that lived in the city, they, they I think, at some point had a little bit of an advantage where we we needed all the players to be able to put a team together. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you go to the city, you're competing to play on certain teams. So I think there was a little bit of a competitive edge off the start for, for the, the city kids, but you get tiered there, you're playing at different levels. And, and But for us, it was, you got in you got in the wood panel station wagon and drove mm-hmm. an hour somewhere and played a different town and then came back. And Yeah, because you hear about this all the time, but were there any situations to where you just kind of have a guy that you might, maybe not necessarily, you know, you didn't like maybe before he was on your team. Then all of a sudden you're like, okay, like, Let's go. Like, we're both good players here. Let's put that past us. We're on the same team. We have a similar goal. We're representing our hometown. Like, let's go. Were there any situations like that? That was the Beachy Bombers. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we had to. When when Dinsmore and Beachy and Lucky Lake joined together, that was uh, interesting, the first couple practices there. But, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. You you, you see those guys years from now, and, and um, yeah, it's it just uh, – what you thought to what you thought they were and, and who they are, are two different things oh yeah 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 for sure for sure uh and it's kind of one of those situations too to where it's like all right i know that we might not have liked each other we got into it but we can both agree that we don't like the other team way more than we don't like each other you know what i mean it's one of those things to where you find a common enemy all of a sudden you become friends well it's, it's <laughs> it, that's that way all the way up we go play junior hockey yeah. and there's trades and at our level here there's trades and stuff and that's great. You could have been line mates or roommates or whatever here, but then you get traded to a different team. And yeah, sorry, it's it's, uh-huh. it's business. Yeah. You can talk after the game, but in in the game, it's business. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, getting back to business, I kind of want to uh, start your hockey career here because we haven't actually started. Uh, well, I know we're talking about you playing for your uh, uh, hometown, but uh, how does how does that kind of progress? And uh, who are your coaches at the time? Um, how do you end up developing? Did you have any help? Uh, was there anybody in your family that might have uh, uh, helped you along the way? Um, what, how, how was that development process for you? I, I was really lucky. I, I guess this is one of the one of the advantages of being from a small town. You paid your minor hockey fee at the start of the season, and you pretty much had free run of the rank when there were teams not practicing or figure skating every Monday night. If if mm-hmm. the ice was available, you could skate whenever you wanted. Yeah. So for us before the small area games and a lot of the station work and, and things that you see now, we, we just shot the puck around until you got two or three guys and then, then you had Shinny. Yeah. And, and you played for hours. And so it was really, you got a lot of your education there because you're, you had the younger kids and the older kids. So you learned from the older ones. And then, and then growing up all the way through, my dad was my coach every year except for one year. And I, I think at, he was he was fairly fairly tough on me, but mm-hmm. I think in the end it it probably helped helped uh, shape where I was going and what I wanted to do in terms of being a coach later on down the road. Yeah, and um, you know I uh, my father was uh, my coach, not just head coach or at least co head coach 
uh, for the entirety of my, when I say my hockey career, I'm talking about like Mike to midget travel. So, you know what I mean? That's uh, kind of where it ended there. But um, he was my coach the, the entire way. And I think that, you know, when you kind of hear people say like, oh, coach's kid, preferential treatment, um, that wasn't necessarily the case for me. Although I think that the things that I had to go through ended up making me a better player and a better person. Um, it was still a little bit different for me. And so I just kind of want to set the record straight that like when the, the whole coach's kid thing, for some reason, I have for the past however many years just had a really thing like coach's kid. Like what? The, you know, the, the, let me tell you stories about being the coach's kid. Uh, do you have any story about being the coach's kid? Yeah, that was pretty much me all the way up. It was <laughs> it was one of those things that I think for for my dad as a coach, he always wanted what was best for for the young, for the players and and saw a lot of potential in them and I think you'd get frustrated cuz I I'd put in the effort all the time and and I usually got grief if like one little mistake I I usually uh usually heard about it and he'd be frustrated with with some of the other players and I still usually heard about it he usually uh-huh. found something that I did wrong in a play and yeah. and again I, it was just uh like we we lost him last year and and just uh, the one thing that uh before uh before any of that happened the last few years like he he said to me he goes he realized I was I was really hard on you and I probably shouldn't have been that hard on you on on you at times yeah and and that uh just that he was proud of me and he like I put up with a lot of stuff and yeah and so we were in a good place when 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 he did leave but yeah for 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 years there it was it was really frustrating and hard on my confidence as a player and and I think that was one thing as a coach you always have takeaways and I never look at anything as a negative I learn, look at it as a learning experience and yeah. I think that was the take one of the key takeaways I think my dad was a fantastic coach for other players maybe not so much me at times it's different yeah yeah but I think I think for me I wanted to make sure I want to be honest with players and and sometimes you have to have you have to have a tough conversation, but I think you need to be honest with them. Yeah. And but at the same time, I I don't think you have to completely crush them either. And and yeah. you can do it in a way that that is uh, that is productive. And yeah. And I've tried to carry that forward in my coaching career. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things too to where and this is nothing against uh, hockey parents that don't really. Um, what's the best way to say this, see the game as well as, you know, coaches or people that have played for a long time. They understand the game for the most part. But, you know, if you're, you know, hockey parent or if you're, you know, mom or dad, um, have a, a, a career in hockey or, or know about the sport, it's almost like if they don't kind of share their, when I say concerns, I don't mean heavy concerns, but then they're being dishonest with you. And what's the purpose of that? So it's one of those situations to where, like, I feel like my dad, um, he was being nothing but honest because the if he said anything else besides that, he would feel disingenuous or that he wasn't doing me a favor and that there was really no reason to um, pump my tires unnecessarily, if that makes sense. So it's one of those things to where I think it can happen naturally with uh, hockey parents that don't know the game as well. But if you have a hockey parent and they happen to be your coach, or even if they're not, if they know the sport and know the game, it's one of those things to where if they aren't honest with you, 
what are, what are we doing? You know what I mean? So whatever that is, whatever, you know, as long as you trust that source, which I always trusted my dad because I knew that he was a good player. Um, and I, it's one of those things, like I looked up to him and I, you know, if he had any advice now, granted there were times I may have skated away or acted like I wasn't listening, but realistically, like I knew that what he was saying was helping me, whether or not I kind of wanted to push back or not. Yeah, I, I think for 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 me it was like I said I I uh, whether he was frustrated at somebody else or or a different situations sometimes I would uh, I would take the brunt of it and and I think at a young age I figured it out mm-hmm. that I knew that that's kind of where where the frustration was and and I knew when I when I made a like made a a good play or a positive play and or other times where I didn't yeah and and I kind of knew where where he was where he was going with it uh at the same time it still chips away in the back of your head when you're a young kid and yeah. uh, again it just the all of that stuff like for our players too like they they have that that snowball sometimes they're they're here for a reason and and they're they're missing just a couple little things to get to that next level and then you go up one more level and and it's a whole you're the in the you're in the best league in the world. Yeah. So we're such a fine line and and for our guys here it's just confidence all the time and and they have a bad shift and it can snowball and and you, I think you have to turn it and and um try and try and get positive but at the same time if things aren't working out we are in, we are in a business and you have to have honest conversations with guys and, yeah. I think it's important, like I was saying about being honest, like we don't just say that's not good. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's there's going to be learning outcomes and it's almost like in business, the human resource sandwich. Uh-huh. Okay, here's here's why you're not playing tonight. This is this is what happened and this is why you're not in the lineup or why you're not getting the ice time you think you should. Yeah. Here's video. We'll watch video to see what it is that we can change. And then at practice that morning, let's stay out a few minutes later and let's work on these things that, mm-hmm. so we don't have to have this conversation again. So you have to have the honest conversation, but at the same time, we want to be able to come up with a, come up with a solution or, or, or ways to help them help themselves to, to get better as well. Yeah. But, and I'm assuming because, you know, you're coaching pros, you're coaching guys that are very, very good hockey players. And I have to imagine at a certain point that, you know, how, you know, receptive are guys that are as good as you have to be in order to play pro? It's one of those things that if they don't buy into that, then, you know, it's it's almost like that assignment or whatever you're talking about. It's a good way to say, like, hey, are you coachable? Like, you're a professional hockey player. You're a good hockey player. But, like, we need you to work on da 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 Whether or not they subscribe to that or, or whether or not they don't. Like, I feel like it's, you know, because like I said, I I have never coached professional hockey. You have. But is there is there ever kind of like a, a, a pushback or is there ever kind of like a test of like, are you coachable here? Like, are you willing to work with us? You know, because, um, you know, hockey players can sometimes have a little bit of an ego and I don't know how much they're willing to kind of take in as far as like, oh, like, what is it that I need, need to work on? Because most players, even if they're in the top league in the NHL, they know that there's, I'm not saying holes in their game but they know what it is they need to work on they go and they do that but um how receptive are are these guys and i know that's kind of a generalized question i don't want to make this a a hot question for you but i mean how how does how does that get received most of the time 
It is a, a case by case basis, like you said. There, you can't really generalize it, but I, I think there's a, a couple things that that uh, when sometimes you have to have that realistic conversation and say, "Hey, your way got you here. Yeah, you're not at that level because of this." Mm-hmm. Or else, the other thing to ask them is, if we have players that have had experience there, would you be doing that at the American Hockey League level? Yeah. And most times it's no. Yeah. So it's like, why are you doing that here? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, for like I was saying earlier about confidence, there some of them when they get sent down, for example, their their confidence might not be there, and it's like, what's wrong with me? And it's like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, we just have to work on on fine tuning some things and refining some things to help you get back up. Yeah. And for the players that haven't been up there and had a taste of the American Hockey League yet, it's it's what are your goals? Yeah. And then, so when, when you're on the same page with them as uh, when it comes to that stuff, when you have that conversation, it's like, is that going to help get you to the next level? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's just being honest. And I think it's having an open, an open dialogue with your players and, and having that idea again, it's like any other workplace. Sometimes you don't, you're not, it's not all unicorns Mm -hmm. and rainbows and everything, but at, at the same time, I, I think the open dialogue and the communication, and I think we do a really good job of that, helps with their their success and helps them to move forward. And and whether or not they get it when they're when they're a young player, maybe later on in in their lives or yeah. or or further down their career, they'll they'll be like, oh, I remember when remember when Murr told me that, or I remember when when we talked about that, or. I remember working on that after practice with Scott. It's it's those little things that they might not get it right away, but as players mature and and get older, they start to figure that stuff out. Well, and I think that, you know, and I feel like it's one of those situations too to where, you know, ECHL, you're getting young players that are trying to, you know, kind of, um, you know, get to that next level or they're, they're, they're trying to work hard. But sometimes the thing with the young players is that they were the best where they came from and they are almost like it's almost kind of like when they enter that situation where they turn pro it's the first time that they are not the guy you know what i mean and they either have to find other roles to fill in that on that team that are needed that they might not necessarily be uh you know familiar with or you know this or that but I, i think that it's one of those situations too to where you know it's the first time that a lot of these players are you know kind of facing like oh wait like Oh, like I'm not the guy. And sometimes that it kind of takes them a while to figure out, okay, how do I adjust to this? You know, um, like what, what kind of changes do I need to make to my game? But I'm assuming that you guys have seen that before and kind of, uh, it's not your first rodeo. Yeah. Every, every year you see that. And it's whether it was when I, again, this is my third season down here, but I've been doing development stuff with, with players for, for since 1997 in the in the in the summertime and trying to get them ready for development camps or get them ready for their first NHL training camp and it but I the what I find here is they get here and all of a sudden it's like what's wrong with me yeah it's like there's nothing wrong with you it's just this is you for for some of these players they faced that adversity when it came to getting to when they made junior hockey or, or they got to college or or whatever and and they they learned to become uh, be dynamic. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm a checker, but then as as I mature as a player and and I move along and I get more experience, I can be successful. 
for some guys, they've been successful all the way up and they get drafted and, and oh, they're going to be this this highly touted NHL player. Yeah. Now they're in the ECHL. What's wrong with me? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's it, it, We just have to work on on your building blocks. Yeah. And you have to work on some key fundamentals to try and get to that next level. And and so you, you are... You are always constantly monitoring that as a as a coach as well, and and trying to uh, again, you you have that fine line between between tough love and having those honest conversations, and then trying to instill confidence at the same time. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Um, getting back into your story a little bit though, because I do want to get into because I do want to tell your story, but I want to talk about you kind of deciding that you wanted to start coaching. Because I don't know if you, you know, took a break from hockey or if you decided after, you know, juniors that you just, you know, because some people take a break, some people don't take a break. But how did that transition go for you? Um, and where were you? And, and just give us a little bit of information about that. Well, I, when I got out of high school, I was either going to be a rock star or play in the NHL. That mm-hmm. was my, those were my two life goals. So I used to run around my town, my hometown in Dinsmore pulling a tire I had my back then you had a walkman and mm-hmm. you'd run around and and I, I dragged this tire behind me and and I just all day you're just daydreaming of, of being a hockey player yeah and then you realize you're not that good yeah and I'm and so I'm playing I played junior B in Saskatchewan and my final year I played I played junior A in Weyburn and um got to play with some some NHL players like Mark Hardigan played in the NHL, got two Stanley Cup rings. Mm-hmm. Darcy Vareau, uh played in the in the NHL too. was a was a really tough customer, like really tough guy. Th- that year in the SJHL when I played there, there was probably almost twenty guys that played in the NHL. Yep, it was it was a really good it was a really good league. And then um, another player, a young guy that we had, ironically, you fast forward a few years, he got drafted by the Phoenix Coyotes. And was at training camp when uh, Rob Murray would have been there as well. So oh yeah, it's kind of weird how how the the hockey world works. The small world. Yeah, and and as soon as I was as soon as I was done playing junior, it was go to school, or there was the Western Professional Hockey League. I got a a, a contract offer, and it was just like a tryout contract or whatever with the El Paso Buzzards. Mm-hmm. And so, some people wanted me to go to school, so just just who I am, I signed the pro contract instead <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. got sure. down there. And I really, to be honest with you, I always, I always say I wasn't good enough, but I, I think a lot of it was I self-sabotaged myself too, because of, of not having the confidence in myself. And, and so I remember being down there and, and just being probably a little homesick too, but, yeah. but just the fact that it's like, I, I just never thought I should be good enough to be able to do that. Yeah. And so I remember coming home and then sitting in a gas station working and realizing like, what is going on here? Yeah. And, but all the while, while I was doing this stuff, I, I worked hockey schools as a hockey school instructor. I worked at a training facility that, uh, that taught speed training basically for, for all different sports, football, um, volleyball, baseball players um and then we had a skating treadmill too where we worked with hockey players and um when I skated guys on the treadmill like and I I was kind of I worked my way back I worked with NHL players like professional athletes first Mm -hmm. so that was my first clientele was was pro athletes 
And uh, I realized half of our players would do the, the skating treadmill. The other half would do a running treadmill. They're all skating at the NHL level. So what are they, what are, what's the difference here? And it's like, well, not everybody skates the same way. Yeah. So there, that's where I got me on to, uh, I guess that kind of lit the fire for how do I make players faster that are all different shapes and sizes and started reading and started studying. And then again, the guys that I used to play against were playing in the NHL and they needed somebody to run stuff for them in the summer. And then by that time, I'd, I'd worked on some skating development and worked on some some skill development. And so not only was I skating these guys, but they we would actually, I'd work on refining some things with them and they were having success. And, and that's kind of how I got started in the, in the whole business. And then probably a year after I was doing that, uh, my old coach from Junior B, I went to a hockey game one night and he asked if I was ever interested in coaching to give him a call. Yep. And so I'm really grateful to Paul Bowles was his name. He uh, gave me an opportunity to start coaching. And, and from there, it just kind of kind of took off. And, and it's been on this journey. I, I coached Junior B for years. I coached at the University of Saskatchewan on the men's and the women's side. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I went to the Western Hockey League. And then uh, I'm in my third season down here now. Yeah, well, yeah, it seems like you're doing great, doing good things. But I do have to ask you this, because for everybody that's listening, and I've always had this kind of, because um, I started giving, if I was going to say how long I've been giving lessons, I would say maybe six to seven years, which I feel like is a sufficient amount. Mm -hmm. But it's like you kind of start. But when I started, I was like, well, I know how to play hockey. And I kind of know this or that. So I start and I'm like, wait, I got to figure out more stuff. But I have to almost relearn what it is that I know and be able to teach it. I know how to do this, but like what it is that I'm actually doing. And so I'm kind of trying to identify because it's like I would really kind of just trust myself in going through these motions of figuring out like what it is that I'm doing and then how do I communicate that to somebody else, which is way different than I would say two things, coaching a regular hockey team because you're not necessarily working on the individual skills of like, well, this is how you stick in, or this is how you pass, this is how you even though it is, is it, it's something that is uh, very valuable and obviously um, there's a lot of people that take lessons. Um, but I think that the other part to this is like you have to almost, there's not like a book for it. It's not like there's somebody that's like, here's how you teach skills because it's almost like, like you said, each skater is a little bit different. Everybody has a different stride. Everybody has a different uh, structure. Everybody has a different weight transfer different balance different um but I, I i found that i was kind of taking more of a uh, uh more of a self-evaluation process to this whole thing because i it's almost like i would do something over and over and over again i'm like how do i teach this because there was nobody to tell me how to coach it or how to teach it i had to think about okay i know how to take a snapshot i know how to do a mohawk i know how to do a tight turn i know how to do these things but like, what it is? What is it that I'm actually doing? Am I putting more weight on my right side to my left? Am I making sure that I have the same amount of weight on the left side by right? You know, it's one of those things to where you kind of, I got reinvested in hockey just by trying to figure out what my body was doing in order to teach it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, with with the treadmill especially, I didn't have to chase anybody down the ice. Yeah. So you're standing there and you can correct it. And and I was in the program before I started training players there. And I had a great, uh, a great trainer there, Warren Crows on that, that worked with me. And, and he was good at, at, at explaining some of the biomechanics of, of, of the stride. But then I, I know what it felt like. Mm -hmm. I know. And, and especially when it came to edges and things like that on the ice. 
I, I could pass a puck and I could skate. Those were my two attributes. For yeah. I, I had wheels uh-huh. and I, I don't know how smart I was. I'd ever watch myself. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah. when, so when it came to skating though, the whether whether you were a wide skater, like a wide tracker with really like tree trunk legs or you were long and lanky and had that big, long Jay Bowmeister kind of stride. Yeah. There were some key fundamentals, like your your edging and your balance. If I could get you to hold hold certain balance points while you're in, however this position is, if you're a wider guy mm-hmm. or, or bringing your legs all the way underneath, then that's where that's where we could start from and and tweak things. So again, having that treadmill there and sitting there for hours, it's it's like driving. You yeah. sit there and drive for hours. You sit there and you watch striding over yeah. and over again for hours. I went through the program. I know how it felt. I know what like I know where it, you uh-huh. where it should feel. Yeah, or where you feel that the the push with your leg and and then when when you translate it onto the ice. So I was really fortunate that I had all these hours on this machine and hour as a because that machine worked for the way I skated. Yeah, but and then I also used to do the running program too to know how that felt. Yeah. So and then when we translated everything to the ice, it was. I, I think that was a big, a big uh, benefit to me was it being able to go through that first and knowing what it felt like, and then when it, when it came to the the skill side of things and and the um, and it's just the explaining the why part. Mm-hmm. I think that was the most important thing. I don't, I didn't want them, and you see it nowadays too. The, the skills coaches, they'll be like, "Yeah, just do it this way." Yeah. Well, can you explain everything that that's involved with this process? Yeah, just look at me. It's like this. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you have to explain how, yep. and you have to explain why you're doing it. I think that's that's one of the things that is lacking with some of the today's yeah. skills coach industry. Yeah, if you want to put it that way. Well, but I think that all you need to do is make some fancy videos, put them on Instagram, put a whole bunch of stuff out on the ice. And as somebody that is on the operation side of things, sometimes it's like, I need, uh, it's one coach, I need uh, three big nets, I need two mini nets, I need a deeker, I need four tires. I'm like, what is going, like, what are you doing? What is happening out here? Like, I understand you're trying to kind of create a situation here, but like, that's too much, that's just too much stuff. Yeah. It's like, well, I need two nets to shoot in between, I stick to lift up, I'm going to stick that one in a net, and I'm going to, which like, I understand that you can use all of those things for a productive drill. But just doing one that looks whatever, it's like, well, that's impressive. But uh, at the end of the day, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of turned off by it. And I think that mostly, now you could have something like that if you had a coach that said, all right, like this is how you go about this process or that. But a lot of the times it's just for uh, clicks, the likes, you know what I mean? It looks fun. Well, I, I got out of, I got out of the, I I, I, I'm calling it an industry. I got out of it and, and got back into more on the, on the coaching side, on the bench side of things, just because of that. It, it grew into this monster and, and you see younger kids specializing in the sport at seven, eight years old there. And this is all they do. Yep. I, I have seen kids with overuse injuries at 10 or 11 years old, like hip issues. Yeah. Guys that, guys that played hard in the NHL. And I mean, like, like grinding hard hitting guys are getting that are getting hip replacement surgeries and things yeah 10 year old and 11 year old kids are having overuse injuries that are similar to what they have and so they they haven't even started to be a hockey player yet yeah and so you you just you you see those things and it it frustrates you and 
I just morally, I could not, I could not take people's money mm-hmm. to work five, six days a week with, with players. Like, I think they need to get out and have fun. And like, you see the advent of, of the hockey Canada and, and USA hockey with the small area games and stuff. And it's, it's fantastic stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not hacking it at all. Yeah. The reason why it's there is because kids don't play anymore. Yeah. And where I, where we grew up playing shinny on the ice all the time, and whenever you can find extra ice, they have stick and puck in the cities. You don't you don't see that, so it's you have to have structured play for for uh, for kids now. Yeah, I got a little bit of a backstory here because there was a, uh, um, I guess you would call it a group of people uh, as I was growing up in Tulsa, but they skated at an inline rink out in Inola. And this was, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but for people that have been around Tulsa, you might uh, know the group or family that I'm talking about. But they played roller hockey growing up from whenever. But this rink was small. I mean, small, 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 small. They didn't play ice hockey for a very long time. As soon as they made that that transition over to ice hockey, they were insane players. Like when you talk about being able to stick handle in a phone booth, those players could do it. I mean, it was insane. And I mean, they had played... I want to say that they had played maybe two or three year seasons of ice hockey before they were like top play. And there were two brothers that, um, anyway, that their family owned a roller rink out in Inola, but it was one of those situations where they didn't know anything different. And then all of a sudden they get out an ice rink, they learn how to skate on ice. And it was just, they were able to just work those small areas so well. They looked at that ice and it was amazing how quickly they kind of rised up and became some of the best ice hockey players, even though they started way later, just because that is how, like, they didn't ever have time to, you know, it was constant. All right, like, I need to be able to, you know, uh, protect the puck with my body. I need to be able to stick handle. I need to be able to whatever. But it, it's one of those situations to where, like, just from that, I understand the small area games. I understand the ADM. Um, I do feel like it, it needs to be implemented correctly in order for it to work. And I understand that sometimes when parents, they look at it, they're like, well, we only get like this much ice or this, but whatever. But, you know, it, I think that those those days are probably not fully gone, um, but hockey is really expansive right now. There's a lot of people playing it. And, you know, for your team to get like a full ice practice, you know, like sometimes that's gone. Sometimes it's going to be ADM now. But at the end of the day, those small area games will end up, I feel like, benefiting players because just that reaction time because really people talk about muscle memory but it's really just like reaction time and how quickly you know you're reacting to the play um and sometimes when you're on a you know regulation size that sometimes that isn't necessarily uh, as prevalent and doesn't happen as often well you were you were talking earlier about the the instagram clicks and and you see all the fancy stuff on the ice and i i've always whether whether they were little kids or whether they were the whether they were my professional clientele, it was always about working how or knowing why we're doing it. Like I said earlier, it's about yeah. the why. But we would we would work zero pressure to to just fifty percent and just kind of token pressure where players would skate into the areas. So you know why you would use it. And then we would go live, mm-hmm. and and so I wanted as as much as possible if I could if I could do development work with live bodies to to learn how to get away from stuff because again, 
that net with the stick sticking out of it ain't moving. Mm-hmm. No. And the other guy is. Yeah. And and so I always I always tried to tried to make it have some practicality to it and and make sure it was functional. Yeah. And and some of the stuff I see now again the the station work and everything that's great. I I talk about it. Well, Mer and I talk about it all the time. And then uh, it's great having Gary Unger in Tulsa too. To and and talking with him, like that guy played in three different eras. Yeah, like played when the game was honest. He played when there was the intimidation factor, and then he played when the game was wide open with mm-hmm. the the Oilers and Flames and and like three different eras. And he was and he was such a good player in all three. Yeah, and and for a guy, so talking with Gary and then talking with Mur. Murr was that guy. He played played over 100 games in the NHL. He's in the American League Hall of Fame. He always you're, he was that player that that uh, teetered like one mm-hmm. false move, and I might be back in the American League. Yeah. And and that was a lot of my clientele in the summers too, were those guys. And it was always fantastic when you saw them get up there. It was just yeah. every time they got called up, it just like you you were so excited for them because again, you know how hard they work. But we those guys played it, yeah. And and so you and then I trained it. So what you see these these players now that they're spending ninety five percent of their development on stick handling in these tight areas and stuff. And it's like that's five percent of your game. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you need it in the corners. You yep. might need it around the goalies, but we need to be able to move our feet. We need to be able to do it with our head up. We need to be able to um, be able to handle pressure, and we need to be able to pass puck. Yeah. And that's what I find. Even in the NHL now, sometimes some of the passing now is before it was just automatic. But you see some plays in the NHL, and it's like you you wouldn't like are, the players are definitely more skilled now. Mm-hmm. But some of their decision making is a lot different than how it used to be. Yeah, and, and so and, and in our league especially, it's a lot of high risk, high reward. We'll throw pucks in areas, and and it's you're not sure what what the thought process was there, but. I, I think that's one of the things that that's lacking, and and you have you have skating consultants, you have stick handling consultants, you even have compete consultants now, yeah. guys that that put that on their. It's business a big card. industry. It is. It, it is an industry, and I I forget what year it was. It was probably around two thousand seven. I was living in Calgary. A friend of mine, uh, Trevor Morgan, was the head of development for Hockey Calgary, and and they were launching the the uh, coach mentorship program. And so a lot of the, I think a lot of the pilot was part of the project was in Can, or was in Calgary for Hockey Canada. That's where the Hockey Calgary or Hockey Canada offices are based. Mm-hmm. And so we did a lot of these clinics. And that was the one thing I said to Trevor. I said, you realize that everybody and their dog, when they become a master skills mentor, is going to become a skills coach. Yeah. And sure enough, within five years, it absolutely exploded. Yeah. And and it was such a big business. And and again, it's it's great because the game's growing and stuff. But it, there's only the game hasn't changed in terms of ice size. Mm-hmm. You're still putting a piece of rubber in a cage, and but you have a lot of different and it's like every other business you learn how to make a million dollars on amazon by watching youtube right yeah you go on instagram you have a guy that has all these flashy drills and i remember parents coming to talk to me the one day about oh did you see the video on dual singular attack and i'm like how to play a two-on-one yeah dual singular two yeah. one like it yeah. but that was that's the, the people change the vocabulary it's still the same game but everybody's trying to find that niche mm-hmm. part of the business, and and not that 
I'm like some purist or tree nah, tree yeah. hugger or anything like that. But it's like there's only there's a certain way we yeah. play. Yeah. And and until they've evolved the the way the ice surface is or they're gonna put spikes on the puck or something. Yeah. We're not like it's it's, it's still yeah. the same game and, and we, we have to stop overthinking it. Yeah. Well and it's it's kinda of funny and I do have uh I have a theory that I wanna run by you too. Because, you know, we were kind of talking about uh, lessons here. There's been kind of something in the NHL recently where there's, like, a lot of, like, people getting blown up by hits. that Kind of clean hits, but, like, you know, just kind of having their head down. Uh, not necessarily Bedard. Well, that did also happen. But uh, some of these other skaters. And I have a theory, and I just want to know your take on it. You can disagree with me. You can say, eh, maybe I don't know. But I feel like with a lot, with, with so many of these players, instead of just kind of playing... Uh, shinny games, you know, like uh, with their buddies kind of, you know, making their IQ a little bit better. I feel like they're so structured on like the cone that's on the ground and going around that, that it kind of keeps their head down. Like, I feel like that like players don't play with their heads up as much as they used to. Now, granted, if you're playing professional hockey, you know, you, you probably play with your heads up. So I may be more talking about uh, you know, travel players or, uh, you know, junior players. But I feel like there's almost a tendency to look for that object low instead of it being a little bit a little bit more above because, you know, there's some of those drills that, you know, people like to do during their lessons. But it's all kind of based on, like, around here, this is your focal point on the ground is this little coat. And I feel like it's not – there's nothing really changing where kids have to kind of keep their heads up. And sometimes I feel like that's why – um, some younger players in the NHL or up in the higher divisions, like they're getting hit is because they don't. And when you watch it, you're like, that's a hit, but they didn't have their head up. And I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but I just kind of wanted to know your thoughts on it. No, I, I, I completely agree. Like I, that's, that's what you see when there is a big hit in the NHL. It's just that one little lapse. It's just, and, and it only and, takes and a you second. Take a quick look down. We have it in our league all the time. Uh, my first my first game uh, in the Western Hockey League, we were playing a preseason game in Regina, and all I remember is we had this kid. I'm he was in this special stick handling program. He was a master student in it, and he didn't back check, so he's standing on the far blue line. <laughs> yeah. And um, the play's in our zone, and our defenseman got his head up, got the puck down, stretched it to him. Their defensemen were on our blue line. And so he just had to skate straight to the net on a breakaway. Yeah. And he had a whole zone. And he did this weird heel-to-heel thing and spun around in a circle and did this. Like, he was so automated that he uh-huh. couldn't go in on a breakaway. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's the thing. Not even looking at what now. the goalie's doing. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you'll, you'll, you'll see that. And, and you see that with some of our guys, like, you'll, we have some really skilled players and, and sometimes they'll, they're breaking this stuff down and I have to be like Crash Davis on Bull Durham. It's like, don't think too much. You only hurt the ball club. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we just got to get it into, we got to get into an area. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where like for our messaging, a lot of times we're sitting in the coach's office and, and we'll talk about stuff like, did you, did you see that play? Mm-hmm. Like what was, what was he doing there? And it, I'm, I'm sure it's an automated play from what they did in the summer with a skills yeah. coach. And, Again, I'm not trying to bash the skills coach industry. No, I was no, no, part no. of it. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I was yeah. in it, and I still do some of it. Yeah. And oh, but yeah, at the at the same time, it's like I want to. I want them to. The game is about speed, and at the NHL level, 
you don't have it's all about time and space yeah. you don't have that time and space to do that extra stick hand, make that extra stick handle yeah. or and or make that extra move yeah. the puck's got to be moved now it's got to be into an area and 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 you have to be moving your feet yeah. and so those are some of the things that I've always lived by whether I was working with not that I'm getting a 6 year old ready for the NHL but if I'm teaching a learn to play hockey program those fundamentals still you still work on some of those things. Now you're not going to push them the same way. You might be talking about dinosaurs or something like that. Uh-huh, but yeah. it's you're you're still working on a lot of those those key fundamentals that you do with with the pro guys. Yeah, and and so it's it's just a lot of I th- I think for us at this level we I almost work on underskilling these guys because they're we're standing on the bench. And we Mer and I just look at each other because. We'll get a pass on a on a flank, for example, on a power play. Well, we got to dust this thing off five times before we oh, shoot. Oh yeah, it. oh it's the worst. And yeah, and, it's and it not, happens at every level. Yeah, and it's not just our player; everybody does. Oh, everybody. So yeah. It's, if if we can if we can eliminate that from our yeah. game, that's going to give us a competitive edge. Well, and if you think about everything that happens and every sort of transition that happens during that dust off lanes, every everything changes during that little. You know, because and as a coach, and sometimes it's easier to see this as a coach, but you look out there, you see things are open, player receives the pass, little dust off. Then all of a sudden, all everything's closed, everything's done, everybody's adjusted to where that player is with the puck, and it's like, oh, had there just been a quick, you know, a, a quick release there of any any sort, whether that's a pass or a shot, things are open because people haven't adjusted. Now all of a sudden, oh, like we're behind now. Yeah, like for for me, it's it's been a, an evolution for in terms of of training training players too. Because before, when I first started training, you're you're hooking on to guys and hitching a ride, mm-hmm. and and then there was the shift in in the the obstruction rules. They they put the obstruction rules in. A lot of guys lost their job in the NHL, yep. and and it was it was good for business for me because. All of a sudden, these guys had to be able to skate. Yeah, and and so you had to be able to skate. You had you you always finished your checks. You played tough. Yeah, but you had to, and then you had to. Like passing was like breathing. You don't think about it. You just you never you never miss a pass. You never miss catching a pass at that level. Yeah, and you had to work on your shot. You need to have a cannon. Yeah, it didn't matter who you were. You had to have a good good release. Mm-hmm. You fast forward a few years, and then all of a sudden, there's there's more of the the stick handling that goes along with it, and and passing, passing, you started to see it go by, not by the wayside, but as the games moved along, the passing I, I don't find is as good as it used to be. Yeah. And, and again, having people like Murr and, 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 and then when I'm around the rink here with Gary, we talk about it there too. It's just, well, you, you see that you've seen the change in it. And, and so, like I said, the, the skill level's there, the speed's there, yeah. but yeah, they, they in the summertime, they're, how fast can we go through stuff? Does it look cool? Can I get likes on Instagram? Yeah. As a skills coach or or the player, uh-huh. it's like, look at all the cool stuff I can do. But then you get in the game and it's, and we're still kind of doing that stuff and, yeah. and we, we're not just moving our feet and, and passing pucks to right areas. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too because, you know, uh, when I was a young and Gary was still here and he was still very active, just like he's always been. As far as Tulsa hockey is concerned, I don't know if there's anybody else that 
I can really put up next to him. I think he's kind of uh, where it is, but he was even around when I was a kid. And what's funny is we're talking about like when the rules changed. I remember Gary re- literally teaching us how to push the top glove, how to hook the top glove, how to push down on the brake. And these were all things were allowed or at least like, you know, you were able to sneak in or whatever. But I mean, those were taught to us by him, which I had used for years and years and years and years. And it's funny because I was playing men's league. Wait, what ended up happening? Oh, I was playing, you know, men's league. I had taken a break from hockey, came back, and I was doing those things in a men's league game. I got like two penalties, but then like I hadn't played in a while, maybe the first first period. I'm like, what is happening? And they go, you can't do that anymore. I'm like, you can't do that anymore. Like, what? Like, what are we talking about? Because, like, that is what I was really good at because I was taught by the best, Gary Unger. But it's just those little those little tips. I mean, if you imagine you're trying to stick handle and somebody just bumps your hand, like, you don't, you know, but now any sort of uh, obstruction is, you know, a, a penalty. But uh, I just, I thought it was great that, now granted, like I said, I can't do it anymore, but I felt like maybe you had to be not more skilled, but you had to be able to get away from somebody a little bit more than just having your hands bumped or whatever. But uh, Gary was also so good uh, about teaching us those little nuanced plays because there are things that like no other coach would really like teach you. They're the little tricks and the little, and it wasn't illegal when he was teaching us that, if that makes, if that makes sense. But it was one of those things where I use that. For it was years. gray area. Place. Well, and it, but I don't know how many times and I, I never got a penalty for it when I was growing up. Somebody's about to shoot the puck. I just, push a little bit on their top hand. I just time it because you can't, you can't just hook it, but you could kind of touch it. You kind of, you know, you just, you mess with it a little bit, but you got to time it right. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? You, you got, you got to know when they're trying to do something, you give it a little push. But anyway, I get a, bu- I get a bunch of penalties now because I haven't been able to outgrow it, but it's uh, I'm not going to say it's Gary's fault, but I haven't been able to break it. And the other thing too, is like, you know, when you hold your stick sideways, they call this hooking now. I know that people can't see it, but, you know, my dad always taught me, it's just like, you know, if somebody's trying to get around you, hold your stick perpendicular, you kind of push them to the side. I get hookings. I'm like, how is it a hook? Like, my blade's point. like, I'm not hooking them. The, the blade's point the other way. That's a penalty now, too. So, I don't know. I just, I got to figure out the rules again. Yeah, one hand, well, for us, a lot of times, our guys have to move their feet. We get we get the odd penalty where guys are, are skating or stop skating you see them gliding and they reach yeah, in with even good. with one hand mm-hmm. and it's so they're not they don't even have two hands they don't have <laughs> leverage but the fact that you're impeding that player's path that's yeah. that's a penalty now yeah yeah but i understand they want offense they want goals which i, I completely understand um but it's also one of those things to where it can be a, here's the thing it can be a little frustrating if we're going to talk about the nhl though uh because the way that the playoffs are called and the, the way that the regular season is called i'm like okay like i really like playoff hockey because i feel like that's the way it should be called the entire season and this isn't just nhl this is probably uh most professional leagues but it's one of those like can we just get back to this can we just kind of cool it on like somebody just needing to go by like untouched like i still have a huge um I understand like the skill level of the players nowadays is absolutely insane and people are doing whatever, but I kind of miss the old school days if I'm not, you know, if I'm being honest. There's, you know, and so we think it's tightening up here and then you then you look at international hockey and the double IHF oh, oh. and and I, I went down. You can't uh, even check. Yeah, when I was down in Australia, like when I was doing stuff with the national programs down there. You'd go down there, and, and I we'd be watching the evaluations for the national team, and 
all of a sudden a guy skates in front of another guy and then they blow the whistle. I'm like, what's that for? Yeah. Well, it's interference. <laughs> like you can't like yeah. it, our our rules are so much lenient. Yeah. Or so lenient compared to how they are in, in the double IHF and and we think they're we think they're tight now. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's crazy some of the some of the some of the like you impede a path automatically. Yeah. You don't even have to touch the guy, but uh-huh. sometimes if you cut him off, that's an interference call now. Yeah. And and so it it was boggling my mind when I went down there the first time and, and experienced that for the first time. So yeah. I can't imagine what it's like for players when they go to Europe and go. Well, and you know, not not to bring up social media, but they did. Uh, there was a short clip of uh, it was like one thirty. It was like a thirty second shift that T Mussolini had back in the day, and it was like he goes to the corner, gets cross checked, no penalty, hops up, like receives the pass, gives a pass, gets checked, goes in that like, and if you were to show that to anybody that didn't watch hockey. And Team Solani didn't even play that long ago, but if you were to look at that and be like, look at this, it, there would have been like six penalties within 30 seconds. Well, but there's, that's a star player that quote-unquote doesn't get touched either. Right. Oh, yeah. That's oh, supposed oh. to be, that's him not getting touched oh, playing oh, that way. Yeah, 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 because touched is a uh, a whole nother, a whole nother level. Yeah. But when you kind of think about, because now there's this whole narrative too, which I kind of understand. There's certain players that are like, I wish I played today. You know what I mean? Like, hey, like, I, it was really kind of tough when you had to be 6'3", 200, you know, at least two, you know, 200 plus pounds, whatever. But, you know, now it's kind of like you can, you can enter the game a little bit smaller, quicker, faster. Um, but there's always kind of that argument of like, man, what players would have been really good, like in today's game that we're just, you know, back before. But I understand things change. Um, I, I think the game is really good now. I don't think there's anything against it. Uh, but there's part of that old school thing where I'm like, man, I kind of miss like that, how it used to be, where you just had to like, in order to score a goal, you just had to like almost get killed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just like absolutely get. And Unger, Unger had a good story. He's He's been on the podcast twice before, but... One, or uh, before I get to his story, one thing that him and my dad used to do when we were growing up, even when we were little kids, we would play against you know my dad, Unger, uh, and a bunch of those guys that were, were good hockey players, not you know pros by any means, but good hockey players, and they would go over the top rough on us. Now not injuring us, but just over the top rough, you know rough on us. And uh, you know my dad had kind of always said like, well you know you just have to learn how to play through it. Like you have to learn how to play through it. And Unger was kind of the one that, you know, I know that we needed to do it, but he was the one that was like, I have gotten, you know, stitches on my nose. Pull. Like, you, you just, you finish the play, you don't look up, you don't, you know. Um, but it, it's just one of those situations to where, looking back on it, I can understand. I'm like, oh, that's why they were just over the top beat. You know, because it'd be like during a stick and puck or like during open ice or whatever, we'd find some time to get together. But it's one of those things to where you're kind of like creating a uh, a callus for your players. You're not trying to, you know, whatever, because I'm like, man, wow, what? But it's like skate through it because it, even if it's like a quarter of a second reaction time to like, ow, you've already lost the puck. You know what I mean? Like you literally have to be able to to skate through that um, so along with a bunch of other things that Unger taught us, that was also uh, nice. Skate through it, just don't even think about it. But then you get used to it and you don't think about it. Well, our, our players now, it's it's really interesting the last few years, not just my time here, but just hockey in general. Like, guy gets hit in the nose or guy gets hit in the mouth or something and yeah. the world ends for him. Like, they just kind of stop playing. Yeah. And, and 
for you have to you have to take into account because there's there's a lot of a lot of people that be like oh they're soft now and yeah. it's just it's different yeah they a lot of times they've played with cages like they'll come out of college hockey wearing a, wearing a cage and then they get to here and and then all of a sudden they're wearing a visor mm-hmm. and the sticks come up um, in junior hockey it's there's some some of the high sticking and stuff but not not the same you're you're running into a, a 230 pound man now yeah as opposed to a 160 pound kid yeah so when that shoulder hits you in the in the chicklets it's it's a little different and it's probably a little bit and it's yeah. coming a little bit harder and yeah. a little that guy knows how to hit yeah so there there's little adjustments like that that before you you'd see guys like you just spit out a tooth, finish the ship, mm-hmm. right? And and the that's I think that's a difference. I don't know if it's a I don't think it's a negative thing, but it's just, it's just different. Yeah. And and you can't have that for us. Like we, you hear that from other coaches of oh they're soft and like it, they just they're not used to playing like that. Yeah. And so for us, it's like yeah you, you take that into account. But yeah. yeah, if you're if you're an old warrior watching it sometimes <laughs> you, you hear that from guys and it's like can yeah. you believe that kid and like yeah. this is what they're used to. Well, and there's also that old theory and I think it's been around for a long time, but even if you're playing men's league or something like that, if you're playing with some or if you're playing against somebody with a cage, they're going to go way harder than you with that one. You know what I mean? It's almost like they got they got a certain protection that they are not necessarily uh looking out for themselves, but uh Maybe that's conversation for uh, for another day. Um, I so I do want to uh, you know because we're getting close on time, uh, but I do want to kind of end the show um, just with kind of like a maybe a little bit of an update on where we're at, where the Oilers are at, uh, where you and Murr are at. I believe that you told me, and I'm not making any promises to any listeners, uh, but I was told that maybe there's a chance that you know we could all get together to chat. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe that will happen at some point, but, um, can you kind of just give everybody an update on, uh, where you guys are at with this season, um, and how things are looking? Yeah, the word, well, it's the midpoint of the year. We were, we're a little bit banged up. We got some guys that are dinged up and it's flu season. So you have some of that stuff. Um, and, and there's been a, a bit of movement up and down between, uh, with, with Anaheim and San Diego. And then with that, uh, that trade with, uh, Drysdale. Like oh really? I didn't. Yeah, know that. like yeah. there's there's uh, and and Goche with that that trade. That, oh really? That affects us, right? Because then it oh. goes, then it affects San Diego, and that affects us. There, so okay, so yeah, you see, you see little sense. things like that. So sure. um, you don't want to don't want to give out any trade secrets <laughs> yeah, or anything. Yeah. But yeah. but we're right now we're we're sitting pretty good. Like it's we had a, a decent weekend with Rapid City here this past weekend. We have Iowa coming up mm-hmm. and. For for us, it's just we keep we keep chugging away and and try and uh, again try and stay healthy. That, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Now it's it's exciting for for fans to watch because when you watch the it, it kind of the season goes. I found it goes in phases since I've been down here and 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 talk with Murr about it and he he yeah he said like it to it makes sense like you watch the start of the year. Our young players are flying around. They look great. Your your veteran guys, are they heavy? Are they out of shape? Kind of thing. And, and, and they're not, but it's just it takes them a little while to get warmed up. Then all of a sudden you see the the wily old veterans. Mm-hmm. Well they they work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And then and then that's where you see some of your your younger players 
have that not a struggle but all of a sudden it's like the game's not as easy they can't move around as much well that's because the veteran guys are all warmed up and uh-huh, yeah yeah so we're yeah. we're in that phase now where we just want to we want to try and stay healthy um try and get get points when we can i know i'm giving you the the most cliche no hey here, no but, but hey i know but, it's genuine but for us we we just again it, it's just about staying healthy right now and and getting a couple guys back again that are dinged up that that uh, we we need to get back in the lineup and and they they make a huge contribution like um and Andy Carroll for example great great young defenseman that we got that um that was at uh, San Diego camp he's out right now we got a couple guys like that that are mm-hmm. just dinged up and they're they're close but it just got to get them healthy and and get going again yeah well i just uh i really appreciate you coming on the show um, I hope that we can do things in the future because I love guests like you because it's like you understand the assignment and you're good at it. You could uh, talk and uh, I hope this isn't the last time that uh, we can uh, get together. Yeah, no, this is this is great. And and it, it, I told you before, you don't have to be scared of murmurs. Uh, I know, but I am. looking there's, forward you, you to can't doing say, an interview but, with but you. I know, but there's nothing you can say to make me not. Uh, so it just, I'm going to go in there with that. To be honest with you, I feel like if I enter that recording with a little bit of fear, I think it'll make it a better episode. So he's, I'm trying to kind of hold on to it just a little bit. He's he's such a fantastic guy to talk to, and and he's got he's got some really good stories. <laughs> I'm sure so he has a lot. You'll, you'll have some. He <laughs> again the way uh, he's he's going to hate me for pumping his tires like this, but <laughs> yeah. like the, the again the style of player he was and and the career that he had and. It's one of those things that I don't think the players sometimes they're they're worried about. Well, why is he why is he hard on me? It's like because because he wants to be better. Yeah, and and he demands a certain amount of of uh, of work ethic and and wants wants you to be wants you to be good. And once you explain to him, because some of the players, it's really interesting because the players nowadays don't do their homework and and they'll be like, oh, did he play? Like, did he play? Yeah, yeah, like. The, the guys in the, like, some of you guys, like, you want to get the American League. He's in the Hall of Fame there. Yeah. The guy played in the NHL. Yeah. And and he is, he's where you're at for, on, on the East Coast, on the ECHL trying to get to the American Hockey League. That's what he was. He was American Hockey League NHL. He was that guy that, that played up and down and was uh, was on that fringe and had to play with that uh, that edge on a fine line. Yeah. And he coaches that way. And and so for, for them, it's... It's always it's always this uh, after afterwards when they have a conversation with them after after the game or whatever and you realize like like he just wants what's best for me yeah and and that's where like again I really en- enjoy working with them I find in this business there's there's some places where I've gone where there's you're almost in a power struggle where everybody wants to know more than the next guy it's like a chest puffing convention. And there's a couple coaches that I've worked with um, that have been absolutely tremendous um, at the University of Saskatchewan. Dave Adolph, he's got the record for most wins for Canadian University Hockey. Absolutely fantastic coach. Um, trusts you, gives you, gives you opportunity. Um, and again, like for him, he he's given me a lot of different opportunities. I went to Australia, worked with the national program because they asked him if they knew a skills coach. He's like, take our guy. Yeah, like that's. Again, you never know where where your path is going to lead. Um, I was in Swift Current, and um, I Mur, Mur was one of the guys I'd always contact about our players that were overagers that 
that uh, were looking to play pro. And so when I saw there was, uh, when uh, the former assistant coach, Zach Desjardins, took a job in Macon, I, I saw that there might be a vacancy here. So I contacted him. And and again, this has been such a great experience. Like we we talk about everything. It's Everything is, is transparent. Again, the fact that you have that trust factor. And it, I, I find it's really hard in this business because everybody has an agenda. Mm-hmm. But he knows I'm just going to work hard for him. And, and again, he trusts me. And that, and I think that is, that is one of the, the, one of the keys to our, our success in working together. And, and I think it translates to our players too. Like we're always trying to do things to, to change and evolve and, and help our players. And we, we spent some time on that in the off season this year too. And, and our veteran players that have been here before really, have responded positively to it and and really like the the stuff that we're doing and they know we're trying to put in the work like no what every everybody's trying to contribute we're all we're not above them there's not this hierarchy thing we work together and we're co-workers and we just got to try and find a way to have success but that's how you do it you know i mean it really is i mean and the thing is like hopefully most teams well you know most teams do but, but a lot of teams don't but the thing is the idea is simple the execution is you know, depending on who you have in place can be way more difficult. So it's one of those things you say, it's like, well, yeah, but it's like, no, like the implementation of that simple thought can be very difficult unless you have everybody bought in, or at least most of the crew bought in. But I think it's one of those things too. And it's just, it's like any sort of leadership role. Like they don't just want to hear you talk. They want to see you do, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they want to, like anybody can go up there and say, like, they want to see the work put in and I feel like that's what kind of like what, you know, say, hey, follow me. Okay, I will because you're putting in that work with me. But, um, you know, I, I just think that you guys are doing the right thing. Um, you know, what was it? The other night you guys had uh, what was like the fifth record attendance in the league this season, something crazy the other yeah, night. Yeah, we had, what was it, 16,000? 16,000. I think it was the third best the third best uh, attendance, yeah. and I think we Tulsa, and this is such a credit to our fan base because we have tremendous fans. Like we have, I think we have three out of the top five ECHL attendance yeah. records. Yeah, or or in the top five uh, for best attendance, and and it's yeah, it's such a, again, I I I just love working down here, and again, the community down here is fantastic. Well, I think you're doing great, and I know we just met, but I think you're doing great. I want to meet Murr. We'll get it figured out together. <laughs> no, but you guys are doing great. I think it's totally awesome. Um, I love being back in Tulsa. I love meeting new people. I like meeting cool new people, uh, just like yourself. But we're entering the last portion of the podcast. I think you're aware of it, but it's mm-hmm. called a shout out. And you have to say something positive. This could be a uh, friends and family shout out. It could be a coaching mantra. Uh, it could be really anything positive, uh, but it does have to be positive or, uh, you know, that's the only rule. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll use, uh, I always, I told this to, well, I always tell this to players all the time, but, um, one of the players I've worked with it, it probably the highlight of my coaching career was when she called me on my birthday, tell me she was an Olympian and, uh, Emily Clark, she was, uh, eight-year-old little girl that I that I met and I thought she was just one of the brothers because there were five or well all all the Clark boys played and mm-hmm. then so and then there was the the two sisters so 
six siblings. She's the baby, mm-hmm. and and she used to have her hair cut short, so she they didn't look at her differently when she was a kid playing hockey. Yeah, and so she went through a lot of different adversity growing up as a player, and and it, for her, it I always I always used to tell her when we when we uh, would work together, it's like the only thing you can control is what you do. Yeah, and and how you carry yourself. So it's it's a matter of uh, just at the end of the day, if you knew you put in the effort, then then you you got to be satisfied with that. Yeah. And then the other thing I always told her is, if you're going to screw up, screw up big. Yeah. Like make it a grenade because mm-hmm. at least you know you made you went for it. And yeah. you you tell that you see that with our players sometimes they're they hold on the stick too tight or whatever. And it's like I don't want you to move a puck like it's a question. Yeah. Like move a puck with some conviction and, and, and no, it might not be the greatest play. Well then let's make it the greatest worst play that's ever happened. Like yeah. at least, at least we know you, you tried to make a decision and, and we can correct it. But if, if you're second guessing yourself, cause again, like I told you before in my, with my hockey career, if you want to call it that ended because I didn't believe in myself and, yeah. and I didn't have confidence in myself. And I, I think that's really important that, that we we empower these players and they they got a lot of a lot of stuff going on and and when they get to the rink we want them just to have bring focus and total effort and so if you're going to screw up screw up big yeah and i'm not ta- i'm not trying to take anything away from emily because i believe that she deserves all the praise that you've given her but i also have another theory and i've shared this on the podcast before the youngest sibling always the best cuz they always have to battle the older ones you know what i mean she, like it she literally... was definitely a battler <laughs> like, she's the most violent battle. one of the crew well it's because you're like the young... i i swear like i i wish there was somebody to like go through and like take notes of this but the youngest sibling that has to go and battle their older siblings all the time and play up and play older you know and i'm not talking uh, seasons or leagues or whatever but most often than not, they're battling older, bigger, whatever. They're they're battlers. You know what I mean? So not taking anything away from Emily, but I think she just shows that it's the youngest sibling that's just like, ah, I'm going to get, you know what I mean? It's a thing. Oh, I, I believe it because, yes, I, I, when, <laughs> like I said, I didn't, I didn't know. I just thought that was their little brother that would skate around and cross-check them in the head when I first oh, started yeah, training. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm like, this kid's got to <laughs> screw loose. And then, and then, uh, she was a really good lacrosse player, really good hockey player. She's and and just uh, she'll she'll hate me for telling this story, but she used to keep a hit list. There you go. So she kept a list on by her bed. Mm-hmm. So uh, whenever somebody did something to her, if she didn't get back get back at them in that game, yeah, she wrote the number and what it was, and then checked it off the list once she got retribution. So, there you go. But. See, I think she's the. I'm in part. I'm a little bit uh, biased, Biasing, but I think yeah. she's probably the best two way forward in women's hockey. So, hey, I, I, it's, I, um, she's she just she plays hard all the time, and that's she's always been wired that way. Hey, I believe you, and I'm gonna end, uh, I'm gonna end with this though, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but you know, if you have some uh, opinions on this, it'd be great. But that new women's league, I feel like is I I don't know. I'm really hoping the best for it. I think there's a lot of good women playing in it. I like to watch women's hockey. I think it's very, um, it's like a finesse game. It's very, these girls are, sorry, these women are just great, great players with so much, like they handle the puck. Since they don't have to worry about necessarily just being crushed, they can kind of handle a little bit better, but it's still super physical. It's like a really smart game. Like I really like watching women's hockey. It's it's interesting that you say that you watch, if 
you need to watch a couple of games now. Like even the one the one morning Mur came in and and he saw some of the game. He's like, they're finishing checks. Uh, like yeah. like it is it is full on. Like mm-hmm. you could probably count three steamboats and some of them are getting hit now. Like yeah. it's they're they're being a little more lenient. I think I think that helps their game out a little bit. I think it's so. Almost yeah. a, it's, it's it's really bad, but it's that threat of violence. Uh-huh. Guys. Yeah. I and I really do think it like she's always played that way, so like Yeah. She always hit people. Yeah. Takes takes the odd penalty at in the international events. But uh but now you watch that you watch their league and, and yeah, there's they're finishing checks. It's not it used to be creative angling, they uh-huh. call it. Uh, but yeah, now crazy, it's crazy. they're just full on running each other over and, and I, I'm I'm happy for because this has been, it's been her dream to be a, yeah. a pro player and and I know some of the other girls like um, uh, Jamie Bourbonnet is a defenseman for New York. There's, um, and then some of the other girls that that played previously that like Bridget Lacat, she's a scout for Chicago for the yeah. Blackhawks now. But um, like if she would have been this league was here five years ago, she's in the league, right? So. Like I've I've been really fortunate to work with some of those some of those girls and and uh, yeah great hockey players and and yeah. mean yeah for everybody catch it out it's a PWHL PWHL yeah. PWHL yeah it's uh from everything that I've watched it's a lot of fun like I've I've enjoyed it uh, so far um all right I have to do the shout out too so it's not just you I have to do this as well but my shout out is going to be for um I'm gonna go ahead and say. A duel, not a duel singular. Wait, what was that drill or the, what was the two-on-one? What's that called? The duel singular <laughs> attack. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to do a duel singular attack here uh, for my shout out. Because uh, I'm going to have like kind of two ones. Uh, I'm going to do the uh, Tulsa Oilers as an organization. Um, I worked for the Oilers probably 12 years ago. Uh, I've come back. There's a new uh, double sheet practice facility uh, opening up that's also available to the public. Uh, I'm super excited to be back. The The rink is almost ready for everybody uh, to come and enjoy, which I think will be a lot of fun. Uh, but not just that, but just the city of Tulsa. It's kind of interesting coming back to your hometown because uh, a lot of times I think you go back to your hometown um, you know, things aren't necessarily the way that they were when you lived here, but you make new memories and you meet new friends and you kind of figure out, all right, who do I talk to? I talk to Scott. Scott's a good person to talk to and meet him. Uh, so it's one of those things you kind of, uh, I don't want to say restart your life, but, um, there's old friends here I'm meeting new friends and, uh, I've just really appreciated, um, I don't know, the Oilers organization and just kind of the city of Tulsa and the people that have been here. Uh, since I moved back, because I feel like everybody's been super welcoming. And um, yeah, I feel like the Oilers are on a good path. Like I said, um, they got people going to the games. They got a uh, new practice facility. They got Scott as assistant coach. They got Murr, who I don't know personally, but will soon. We're going to have him on the podcast, even if it takes a little bit of persuasion. Uh, but we're going to do all these things. I, uh, I am excited to be, I don't know, in the Tulsa Oilers organization, uh, such as you, new practice facility uh people are coming to the games everybody's super excited i'm excited and uh i just i want to thank you again for coming on the show well i, I appreciate you having me this is uh this has been a, a cool experience and this has yeah, been fun definitely definitely, we've definitely uh, open to, to do it again we've definitely got to know each other and yep. uh i do think that like uh like you and i both said uh Mer should come on the show 
Um, I'm only slightly intimidated. But the thing is, I feel like I should stay slightly intimidated just to make it a good episode. And uh, if it turns out I end up less intimidated, then that's just how it works out. But I feel like it'll uh, add a little bit of character to the episode because uh, I'm looking forward to it. And the thing is, too, because it won't be your episode, you'll kind of be like a co-host. Uh, but I think you'll be great if you want to come on uh, in that role. Oh, no, for sure. And and again, he's got stories. Yeah. You get some good stories from him. Yeah. No, the, uh, those that, that's kind of what I search for. That's what I want. But uh, anyway, I got to let everybody know how to get uh, a hold of us here. They can find us at faceoffspotpodcast.com. I'll say that one more time. That's faceoffspotpodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. We're on Spotify, iTunes. I'm told any place that you can find podcasts, you can find ours. Uh, so check us out. We should have episodes coming out every Thursday. Uh, so make sure to check us out. All right. Later, guys.